Hello and welcome back to the Skyrim audio adventure. I'm really glad that I was able to make my two-week deadline. This week, I wrote the entire outline for the first season. And while I'll probably make a few changes in the subtleties as I actually write and develop the series, but once I've written up until the end of the first season, I hope to move to a one-week release schedule, releasing these every single Friday. Hopefully I can get through the first season by the end of April. Nothing else to announce, and so without further ado, this is the Skyrim Audio Adventure Chapter 5, The Road to Whiterun. Hunter had always imagined the road to Whiterun to be fraught with danger, that the knolls and bushes beside the road would be filled with beasts of monstrous size and disposition. The reality was notably more mundane and pleasant. The path snaked down the slope following a series of switchbacks through the trees. One switchback brought the pair very close to the tumbling rapids as the White River ran down to Whiterun Hold. They could see the mist spraying up out of the rocky riverbed. Bracknell carefully scrabbled up some rocks to look down into the flow. When he turned back to grin a childish grin at the hunter, his beard was sparkling from the mist. The hunter had to smile when the late morning sun turned the old man's beard to shimmering glass, but he did not join him on the rock. The air tasted like cedar and musky decaying leaves. Higher on the mountain it tasted of pine. And lower? He wasn't sure what to expect. Manure and wheat, maybe. But he was wrong. The smell was that of something bloated and dead. The hunter glanced to Bracknell to see if he was smelling it too. The old man's brow told him he was. The pair's eyes scanned the edge of the road, and after a moment, the hunter stepped off into the brush chasing a speck of red. Much to his surprise, the red was not blood, but the crimson thread that formed the gilding on Imperial Legion armor. A soldier lay dead at their feet. Bracknell knelt over the body while the hunter began to circle around, looking at the surrounding scene. Who do you think killed a soldier? asked the hunter. Bracknell rolled the body over to see the face of a young man with dry, vacant eyes and imperial features, his face a death mask of surprise. Stormcloak, probably. Or a fool. Or a Stormcloak fool. They slit his throat. The hunter found a patch of stale blood on a rock higher on the slope. He turned in time to see Bracknell attempting, somewhat clumsily, to close the soldier's eyes. The old man whispered a soft prayer. He was killed up there, then thrown down. Do you see a shield anywhere? The hunter asked. Bracknell finished his eulogy and peered around. No, I don't. And his sword is still in his sheath. A joy! The Nord started rummaging in the pouches around the man's waist and held up a half-bloody coin pouch. We're in luck. There must be at least twenty coins in here. Bracknell stood and started walking back to the road. Wait, called the hunter. For what? Aren't we going to bury the body? Oh, sure, with the spades we always carry around. Shouldn't we tell the guards? 
That's two bad ideas in a row. You get one more. Well, if we're going to loot it, why not take the sword? Never carry an Imperial soldier's sword unless you want someone to ask you why you have it. That's three bad ideas. Now let's go. The hunter huffed and strode off after Bracknell and back to the road. You carry a legion bow, he said snidely when he caught up to the old man. Bracknell tossed him the bloody money pouch. And as I recall, you asked me about it. Here, count this. We'll probably be able to spend the night at the bannered mare. Have you ever had real bread from a tavern? It's brilliant. I miss the braided sort from Cyrodiil. They might have some in solitude these days. What do you think happened back there? Well, let's see if you can figure it out. Why would a legionnaire not be carrying a shield? He was trying to save weight. I thought about that too. Why would a brigand kill him but not take his gold? They didn't want the gold. Then what did they want? And why was the legionnaire alone? He... he was a messenger. Or a courier. Bracknell nodded. An urgent courier. And a failed one. Mark my words, this rebellion is real. The Penitus Oculatus won't be happy about this. So the Penitus Oculatus is real then? Of course it's real, Bracknell said with a hint of impatience. The hunter had more questions, but honestly he was tired of asking them. He was beginning to feel like a child. So instead, he fell silent and focused on the road. He'd lost count of the switchbacks when he noticed the land start to change. The trees were growing thin, flowers were losing their color, becoming more akin to little blooms of cotton, and there were noticeably less flying insects. At last, the land began to level out, then all at once, the trees just stopped. The hunter turned back to get an outsider's look at the forest for the first time in recent memory. The trees seemed bigger somehow. When he was surrounded by them, he never stepped back to admire them like this. Then he turned and was faced with the tundra. It was awe-inspiring. It was elegant. It was breathtakingly terrifying. He felt like a bug being abruptly exposed when someone turns over its rock. The hunter's heart skipped a beat and his eyes darted around the sky. He found an angle where his entire vision was blue skies and lazy clouds. A moment later, he was blinking rapidly at the ground. The sky was bright on its own. He'd never realized that. Stranger? Hmm? The hunter looked up to see Bracknell waiting ahead of him. Behind him, the road ran straight and true over fields and farmland. The hunter could make out the faint image of a bridge. And beyond that, a towering outer wall sat at the base of the rocky hilltop city that was Whiterun. From on high, the plains had looked like a flat field with waves of grass, but that was wrong. There were waves in the land, too. The tundra was roughly hewn. Mountains were like trees and their roots had pushed up the earth, creating lonely outcroppings of rock. Rivers, however modest, cut the land and carved out their own basins. Instead of one horizon, he saw many. Stranger! The hunter's eyes snapped back to Bracknell on the road ahead. Yeah? Are you alright? Yeah. Well, come on then. We're making good time. At this pace, we'll be at the Bannered Mare before nightfall. And so, the hunter followed, staring around like a newborn all the while.
In spite of all Bracknell's talk of making good time, when the two had drifted down to the river to fill their water skins, the old Nord had become transfixed by the fish darting around in the now calm current. That's hissed carpen there, unless my eyes are playing me for a fool. What in the blazes is it doing over here? The elder hunter set down his pack and pulled out what the hunter thought was a folded handkerchief, but turned out to be a very tightly folded dragnet. The hunter watched, eating dried goat in quiet impatience and begrudging fascination, as Bracknell unfurled the net, iron weights and draw lines at the corners, and began casting. It took him three casts to get anywhere near the fish. He didn't ask for help and the hunter didn't offer. There was a fine line between helpful and insulting, and the hunter respected that line. Or at least, that's what he told himself. He might have just been lazy. Truth is, after the dramatic entrance to the tundra, he had been dwelling in his own head for quite a bit. He was determined not to linger on the choice he'd made with the letter, but for some reason, nothing in the outside world could hold his attention for long. So he found himself compromising by just existing. He was good at that. Mistakes pain and confusion. Perhaps if he were a wise man, he'd walk through the world secure in his actions, confident that he saw all ends, but then again, perhaps not. Perhaps he would only be frozen by the weight of possibility. There we are, Bracknell said as he pulled the net in for the third time and began delicately extracting the small, ruddy, gold-tinted fish. They are his scarp. I normally don't see these this far downstream. There is a breeding population in Lake Illinalta, but the eggs never survive the rapids. Or the salmon. Bracknell looked up and down the river. Where are the salmon? He thought aloud. The salmon should have got them before they ever got to Riverwood. There was a long pause. The hunter didn't answer. Bracknell threw three hissed carp back and quickly killed the two he kept. After gutting them and pocketing the livers, for some reason, the Nord stood and handed the hunter one of the small fish. There is something wicked out there. Something that's killing salmon and chasing elk across rivers. It's got to be on Bleak Falls Mountain. It has to be. Then he bit the head off the hiscarp and walked back to the road. It was well past midday when the pair finally approached the bridge. When they got there, they found a crossroad. There was some kind of tributary crossing in front of them, necessitating the bridge, but to their right there was another bridge a ways off that crossed the White River. Leaning, arms folded against a squat cobblestone wall, was a muscular Nord, swaddled in an earthy yellow sash over a chainmail shirt and some kind of scaled armor. A sword rested on his hip, a thick wooden shield with a stallion emblazoned on the face rested against the base of the wall, and a thoroughly bored expression rested on his mustachioed face. Bracknell raised an arm as they approached. Good day, guardsmen. What brings you to such a lonely post? Good day, citizen, responded the guard in a well-rehearsed manner. I stand for the protection of the people and hold of Whiterun. Of course, of course, Bracknell nodded. But really, who'd you piss off to get stuck out here? The guard pursed his lips and spoke in the same diplomatic voice. Commander Caius is the captain of the guard here in Whiterun. He's a good man. I see, but shouldn't you at least have a partner? Jarl Baldruff is loyal to Whiterun above all else. We're in good hands. I see. Since Baldruff isn't choosing a side in the war, you have to cover all fronts and are stretched a bit thin, are you? The Whiterun guard is well capable. 
the guardsman said, still in that formal voice. Then, in a more relaxed one, What brings you to the White Run? Please forgive my rudeness, but you aren't exactly dressed for the city. No, we're not. We make our way in the wilds of Falkreath, but news of Whiterun's heroes and artists and smiths has brought us to your doorstep. I understand. Skyforge burns hot, I assure you. But good luck dealing with Yorland. He knows the value of his trade, and you don't look like his normal customers. Ah, we're decent enough folk. I'm Bracknell, and this is the idiot. I'm Godsman Urgalas. It's good to meet you. Stranger, offer the man some of that meat you had. The hunter held out the bag and the guard took a couple strips with a grateful look in his eyes. Well, we must be off. May we meet again at a more favorable posting. The guard only nodded as the hunter started across the bridge to the city. Stranger, where are you going? The hunter looked back to see that Bracknell had instead turned left onto the road that skirted the tributary. He looked ahead of him to the towering spires of Dragon's Reach Castle. To Whiterun? He said, unsure. Well, that's the back wall. The front gate is over on the other side this way. Oh, okay. The hunter jogged back to Bracknell, silently annoyed. See what I mean, Urgalas? Idiot. The hunter had thought they were almost there, but now knowing they'd be walking parallel to the wall for another hour, that whole fishing excursion felt all the more unnecessary. The pair remained silent as they passed by mills, fields, and farmhouses. There was one very large, stately building with a gaudy sign next to it that read, Hunting Brew Meadery. The hunter had to stare at it, but didn't say anything. Then, suddenly, apropos of nothing, Bracknell began to sing. There once was a woman as fair as an evening in springtime at Old Stross Mackay. The night tossed her hair as I kissed her cheek, her bottom and bosom and thigh. <laughs> That's not how it goes. Oh, really? Yeah. I've been trying to get a rise out of you for ages, but you've just been a soggy sack the whole way. No, I haven't. Boy, you've been quieter than a priest in a tavern. Sure, engage him in mystery, call him an idiot, but you sing a dirty song and oh no, you've awoken the beast. Strangers coming to tell you how it is. I'm just saying that's not how the song goes. Why don't you sing for a bit? Enlighten me. No, I don't sing. Well, then you've got no room to complain, do you? Oh, her words were a river of passion. Her hair was a field of gold. I told her her feel had me truer than steel, and she loved me for being so bold. We made love- Okay, okay, I'll sing. Gods, anything to get off your wet dream. That whole song's a wet dream. I defy you to change that. Oh yeah? Watch me. What? <clears throat> okay. There... There what? There what? Well, this is already high art. Shut it. There... 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 There once was a woman as fair as an evening in springtime at Old Strauss Mackay. She danced on the sand with a lute in her hands and a sapphire sea in her eyes. She sang when the sailors were loading and leaving. She sang when the sailors came home. But every man knew if she's singing of you, you'd find fortune wherever you roam. One day I was crawling so listless and drawn on the sands of Angasta by sunset. 
And I floated along on the wings of a song to that beautiful island brunette. She pegged my leg, and she patched my eye, and she told me that I would be strong. Then bathed in the moonlight, she was all mine, till she faded away by the dawn. Now I've sailed the world, I've tamed every sea, from the Red Mountain back to Kubai. I've seen all the wonders, but nothing compares to the woman of Old Stross Mackay. As the hunter's timid voice croaked out the end of the song, Bracknell offered hearty applause and raised his waterskin. Well done! A toast to the songbird of Helgen! The hunter took a swig from his own waterskin and offered Bracknell some dried goat. Mark my words, I'm never doing that in front of an audience. All the shame, they do have sex in the song. Well, of course they have sex in the song, but that's just one line and it's all anyone ever remembers. It's all anyone cares to remember. I've heard some pretty raunchy versions myself. And I'm sure you don't count yours among them. Of course not. I'm a damn poet. Sure you are. Anyway, now that you got me talking, what was that Honeybrew Meadery place? You ever heard of Honeybrew Mead? I've seen it around. Never really had any myself. It's quite new. Probably the first real competitor to Blackbriar Mead this side of the throat of the world. I think the only mead I've had has been from the local Nord Shiners like Bilod back in Helgen. Never really tried the big name stuff. Well, hunters like us can't afford the big name stuff. Ah, oh, we might yet. We got 8 gold, 12 silver, and 5 copper from that soldier. Ah, oh, the Legion isn't paying like it used to. Or maybe he was just a big spender. So, do you like sweeter meads or harder meads? Quiet. Oh, is that a personal question? I said quiet, stranger. The hunter looked back to see that Bracknell had stopped dead and his pale blue eyes were scanning the crop field to their left. The hunter followed his gaze, only seeing waving wheat and little squat pumpkins. What's going on? We're being hunted. No sudden movements now. He came up next to the hunter and pointed to one of the half-broken cobble walls, whose role seemed to be to divide the crops. I know you're there, Ayala. Come out from behind that wall. There was silence before the winds of the prairie whipping past his ears and making the grass hiss. Then he jumped as a clump of buckwheat to their right stood up and turned into a live Nord woman. The hunter stared as she stepped out onto the road, her auburn hair whipping across her steely blue eyes, not dissimilar to Bracknell's. She was wiry like him, built for speed. Her armor was minimalist and bizarre. She had heavy shoulder and hip protection, but everything that would normally be covered by a shield was made of unarmored hides. Her sides and the inside of her thighs were completely uncovered, open to attack and the cold. It was practically a skirt. Three steel bars inlaid with green pearls he didn't recognize crossed over her bosom. She wore long green sleeves under her gauntlets that went up past her elbow, finishing in tight rings above her biceps. A strong bow was held loosely in her right hand, and fine arrows peeked out from behind her back. The striped fletching of eagle's feathers made him feel a bit self-conscious of the ratty crow's feathers on his arrows. She grinned at the elder hunter from behind three streaks of olive face paint. You're losing your edge, you old hound, she called in a voice that lacked any feminine trill. This was not a delicate lady, this was a warrior. The hunter didn't always know why he felt threatened when he did, but this time it was clear. She was skilled, well-armed, camouflaged, fast, bold, immune to the cold, 
and there was something predatory in those eyes that made him sure she was leagues ahead of him. Ah, horse piss, I knew you were there, didn't I? Bracknell puffed up in his furs a little. The woman stepped over swiftly and abruptly threw an arm around the old Nord. The elder hunter laughed and hugged her back. It's been too long, Bracknell. I was beginning to worry. I thought you got taken by a bear or something. Oh, if I was ever taken by a bear, you'd hear the battle all the way up in Jorvaskar. The hunter's ears perked at this. Jorvaskar? That meant this woman was one of the companions. Bracknell continued. How's Kodlak? He's better. He's better than he was. He can't move very well, and I fear his fighting days are done, but he's healthy. Good, good. I'll have to pay him a visit. I doubt any of the others remember me. The self-obsession of youth and all. Skior might remember. He's heard me talk enough about you. Oh, 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 no. How will I ever look him in the eye? Relax. Just some lessons from when I was a pup. I was hoping to run into you, but what are you doing out here? Surely you can't smell me from way up in the city. Oh, Severio Pelagia told us the giant has been stealing his cows. I've staked this place out for a couple days, but so far nothing. Enough about that. What did you want to see me about? Well, it's this little ferret right here. Bracknell turned back to the hunter. This ratty-looking fellow here is Stranger. And Stranger, this is Ayala the Huntress. One of the inner circle of the companions. The hunter was no expert on the subject, but he did know this. A long time ago, there was a big Nord hero named Yskramor. What he did, the hunter didn't know. But his fellow warriors and those who followed him were known as the Companions. Today, the Companions still existed as a guild of warriors and protectors, not bound by code or oath, but simply by honor. Their members have songs and books written about them. Their heroics over the years were legendary. Some warriors come to the Companions to make a name for themselves. Others already had names when they got there. The names of Companions were as renowned as those of sitting Jarls, especially Codlack Whitemane. That was a name he'd heard repeatedly back in Helgen. What the inner circle was, he was unsure, but the Companions were a very big deal in Skyrim. Now this old man who lived in a tree was greeting them like old friends, and Ayala the Huntress was staring him down like a pack leader stares down a challenger. She was an inch or two shorter than him, but in his eyes she towered over him. He did his best not to weather beneath her gaze, but felt that just by trying he had somehow failed already. You want this one to become a whelp? No, not exactly. I just wish for him to learn his way around a sword. It would be hard to convince any of them to train him without committing to serve the Hall or at least showing the ambition to join. There are no binding words or contracts, but there is honor. What reason would we have to waste our time on someone who isn't even a whelp? Oh, that's not even the worst of it, Bracknell said solemnly. He grabbed the hunter's injured hand and held it up for the huntress to see. This just happened recently in a run-in with some vampires. He'll need specially made weapons he can wield without this finger. He survived a vampire attack. Yes, I haven't known him long, but it seems like surviving is what he does. I see. Ayla's eyes found the hunters again. This time there was something warmer there, not just cold steel. Do you at least have the coin to pay for a blade or even a commission? He's got some dried goat, but we might have eaten most of that. So, you're asking for a favor then? A huge favor, yes. From you to me. The Huntress's eyes flashed cold at Bracknell for a moment. 
but when he didn't flinch, warmth returned to them, and she smiled softly. I'll see what I can do. No promises. Now come on, let's get to town. The walk past the stables and up to the gate felt familiar to the hunter. The stonework and the guards on the ramparts and parapets reminded him a bit of Helgen. It was a winding path through ruin and rubble, in some places wood or placed fallen stone. Whiterun guards in their sashes of wheat gold stood like statues under the wooden roofs of their wooden towers, themselves standing on the stone rubble of the tower that used to be there where walls could not be replaced. Sharpened wooden stakes protruded to deter any attackers. The comparatively short walk spoke of years of siege and the slow erosion of time, yet the city still stood, a centerpiece of Skyrim in more ways than one. The gates were different, proud and gilded in golden powder, emblazoned with roaring stallions. Hail, companion, called a guard by the gate. Ayala proudly dipped her head as the gates were opened for her. The same guard offered Bracknell and the hunter a squinting, mistrustful gaze as the pair followed her through. I wouldn't worry too much about that, muttered Bracknell, leaning into the hunter. Most of a guard's job is to sit around and look mean. Hot air blew into their faces as they walked in. Sheltered by the high wall of the gate and the hill the city sat on, a forge was burning to their right. As they crossed a small mound the hunter didn't realize was a bridge until they were across it, the modest sign of the blacksmith's shop came into focus. War Maidens, it read. The hunter turned to see a dark-skinned imperial woman diligently working the bellow at the porous dome of the forge. For a moment, he pictured little Dorothy, all grown up, working away at her craft. He looked ahead to the three or four dozen quaint hut-like houses at varying distance from the central path. The city looks good, Bracknell noted. You think I could get a sturdy footlocker at Belthor's? Ayala cocked an ear. A footlocker? Yeah, you don't think I came all this way just for him, do you? What do you need a footlocker for? Well, you know me, always finding little treasures. Where have you been sticking your nose now? Nowhere so bad. I'll tell you over a drink. But leave it to say I've got something I can't exactly mount in my wall and can't exactly fit in my safe. What unnerned did you find? Over a drink, over a drink, the old man insisted. So, what do you think, Belathors? Hmm, well, you could try, but I think Adrian back at War Maidens is a better bet. If Belathor doesn't have it, he'd probably just outsource it to Adrian anyway. How do you plan on getting a heavy footlocker into the tree? Bracknell nodded to the hunter. This one right here. So don't go and break him, will you? Several things about that sentence were very distressing for the hunter. He looked back and forth between Ayala and Bracknell. I'm sorry, what's happening? Something wrong, stranger? I thought you didn't like debts. No, I mean, I'm happy to help, but... Good, so it all works out. Which way is the market? Dead ahead, right? Yeah, that's right, said Ayala, giving a smirking wink to the hunter. He felt his ears darken and the bottom drop out from his stomach. As the group continued through the city, he felt himself mentally preparing for a fight. A middle-aged imperial woman stepped out of a house to their right, wiping her hands on her dark apron. Arcadia, called Ayala. How is she? The woman named Arcadia shook her head solemnly. 
She passed a few hours ago. I see, Ayla said stoically. It was a good life. Who was it? asked Bracknell. Naruka the knight, the huntress clarified. She was old and tired. We all knew this was coming. Naruka, Bracknell muttered under his breath and bowed his head. Good woman. What will the family do? Arcadia pulled her brown hair out of her face and tucked it behind her ears. Ben Kild says he's going to move the family to Eastmarch. Are you in the market, Ayala? My home is your Vasker. You can go in if you like, Arcadia said. No, Ayala said, stepping off towards the square. I prefer to remember her how she was. Me too, Bracknell muttered. And they continued on. The hunter nodded at Arcadia as he passed. He glanced up at the word engraved above the doorway. Breeze home, it read. Bracknell had been right about their time after all. The sun had just set and the inviting entrance of the inn called the Bannered Mare was glowing before them with freshly lit torchlight. But rather than run straight into the tavern, Bracknell swung to the right and stuck his head in the door of a small store with a huge shingled awning. The hunter didn't notice until Ayala caught him by his belt and pulled him to lean against the stone well in the middle of the market square. He watched Bracknell's quiver get caught in the door and listened to the brief conversation. Hey, Bellathor, you open? Oh, uh, welcome. Welcome to Bellathor's. Yes, yes, listen. Do you have any strong footlockers? A footlocker? Uh, uh. Well, let me think. Um, uh, well, if you would be interested in a safe. Thank you, that'll be all. And just like that, the door was closed and the elder hunter was back with them. I'll swing by war maidens in the morning. Sounds good, said the hunter, and once again the group turned to the bannered mare. However, it seemed the fates were determined to spit on Bracknell's ambition of haste, as out of the twilight came two very small and excited figures, a young half-breed girl in a green and blue dress and a Nord boy in a red, long-sleeved shirt. See, I told you, it's Ayala the Huntress, cried the girl. Wow! Ayala, to her credit, did a good job of hiding her sigh and turned a noble, if not kind, smile towards the incoming children. Good evening, Mila, Lars. What are you doing out so late? The pair at once drew their wooden toy swords and held them up proudly. We're defending the city from monsters, Mila shouted. Oh, then I'm in your debt. Someone has to protect the city while I'm away, after all. Did you slay any monsters today? Asked the boy named Lars. Oh, why, just yesterday I bested two trolls with nothing but a dagger, and I beat the second to death with the arm of the first. That's so awesome! Roared the little girl, displaying a level of bloodlust that made the hunter flinch. Can you show me how? I would love to, but thanks to you two, there are no trolls in the city. What about those two men behind you? Asked the boy. Are they bandits? They look like bandits. The hunter's heart raced and he glanced behind him, but no one was there. When he looked back, Ayala the Huntress was smirking at him again. Yes, she said, and the hunter felt Bracknell pull his bow and quiver over his head. They are bandits, especially this one. The hunter felt Bracknell slip his bearskin pack off of his shoulders. Tell you what, Ayala said, turning back to the kids. I'll show you how to take care of a bandit. You just have to let me borrow your swords. Yeah! It'd be an honor, companion. Ayala stood and faced the hunter, who only now registered that he'd become light and unencumbered. 
She tossed him one of the wooden swords which he caught in his offhand. His deep brown eyes clashed with her steel blues. Defend yourself, Mr. Bandit. You now face the Wolf of Whiterun. Thank you very much for listening. Just a quick side note, none of these videos are monetized because I did not feel comfortable monetizing them in light of the copyright issues that might arise. If you know more about this than me and my fears are for not, then please let me know. In the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, then please feel free to visit my Patreon, link in the description. I'll see you all in two weeks, and once again, thanks for listening.